Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today, it is time to recap the Tar Heels' beatdown of the Virginia Tech Hokies, a 41-10 victory over a team that has given Carolina so many fits over the years, and boy, it is so sweet to be sitting here a week after what we experienced against Notre Dame. And this is one that we will be talking about here for uh, hopefully uh, the next few weeks as the turning point of this Tar Heel season. Uh, Much different feel on the podcast today. We're going to run through it all. We'll talk to you about Drake May's special performance, the tight ends bouncing back, and so much more. But let's start with a look at the box score presented by DraftKings. Make sure you go to DraftKings.com and use the promo code TPPN. Uh, We'll tell you more about that coming up later on in this edition of the podcast. But when you look at the box score, it's about what you would expect from a Tar Heel 41-10 win. The Tar Heels, 527 yards of total offense, 367 through the air, and 160 on the ground. Carolina did a good job discipline-wise, four penalties for 25 yards. Interestingly enough, this was a matchup of the two most penalized teams In the ACC coming in, neither team with more than four penalties or 25 penalty yards. Carolina uh, 6 of 15 on third down. So once again, pretty efficient offensively on third down. That's been one of their strengths so far this year, although that is below their season average. They entered uh, the game actually uh, converting over 50% of their third down opportunities. Uh, Carolina... Uh, 7.2 yards per play as opposed to Virginia Tech's 3.9. That was a huge difference in this game. And Carolina, no turnovers. That had been a problem in each of the last two games for Carolina. Uh, And they also allowed uh, no sacks in this game. So Carolina with a tremendous performance in this one. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech, 273 yards of total offense. 
174 through the air, 99 on the ground. They took three penalties for 22 yards. They had pretty good success somehow on third down, 8 for 18, despite only only picking up uh, 273 yards uh, in the entire game. Still a successful team on third down. Uh, and, you know, Carolina just shut down everything that they uh, really threw their way. Just 8.7 yards per, per, per completion, 2.8 yards per rush. Uh, and Carolina did force the one turnover of the game. Carolina would score off of that turnover as well as Cedric Gray interception his second of the season. Carolina also two sacks in the game as well. Uh, so uh, overall, a pretty good game for uh, the Tar Heels when you look at the total stats. You go to the individual stats in the game. Drake May, sensational as we mentioned. 26 of 36. 363 yards passing. Three touchdowns. No interceptions. Uh, Jacoby Criswell also got in there uh, at you know one point towards the end of the game did take a snap after Drake may had to leave after that scary play uh, where he did dive over a defender yet again uh, somehow that is the third time that we have had to say that so far this year uh, just knocked the wind out of himself he, he he looked fine came back into the game and played well after that uh, Criswell just one of four for four yards uh, in the game uh, on the ground Carolina's leading rusher Drake may 13 carries, 73 yards, two touchdowns. Amari and Hampton, eight carries uh, for 37 yards, including uh, a 35-yard carry. Before that, uh, he had uh, just seven carries for two yards. So uh, he had been shut down before that. Caleb Hood, seven carries, 32 yards for the Tar Heels. Uh, those were really the guys that featured the most. Thought we might see a little bit more rotation after last week, but not really. Only one carry for DJ Jones for 11 yards, and George Petaway, both of his carries coming late in the game. He had two carries for four yards. Meanwhile, receiving-wise, Carolina big days for Josh Downs, who leads the team in receiving yet again. Uh, eight catches on eight targets for 120 yards. He has not dropped the pass, by or, uh, he, or he has not uh, had one that has been going his way, where he's been targeted uh, not be completed since he has come back. A perfect 13 for 13 uh, since he re-entered the lineup. Bryson Nesbitt, big performance from him. Four catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown career day uh, from the sophomore tight end. Meanwhile, Antoine Green, four catches, 59 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. Kamari Morales, three catches, 29 yards, and a touchdown on four targets. And John Copenhaver, two catches, 35 yards on two targets. So we will talk, of course, a ton about those tight ends and how impactful they were. Defensively, the standout, Cedric Gray, eight total tackles in this game. Five of them were solos. One interception, uh, probably his best all-around performance of the season. Power Eccles, seven total tackles, six of which were solos. And then you get to the defensive player of the week, as named by Mac Brown earlier today, DeAndre Boykins, five total tackles in this game, one pass breakup, really looked the part out there for Carolina. A couple other guys that I thought played really, really well that we'll have to talk about a little bit more later on. Malachi Hamrick saw a lot more run in this game. Uh, five total tackles out of him, including a quarterback hit. Um, and then you also saw Randy Caldwell, Deuce Caldwell, as most people probably know him. Four total tackles in this game. Three of them were solo. 
one tackle for loss and one sack. An outstanding performance from the true freshman and a guy that we may have to hear a little bit more from moving forward. We'll also tell you about that coming up on this edition of the podcast. Go over to the other side really quickly. Grant Wells, 16 of 26 for 139 yards, 62% completion percentage for him. And when you combine that with Jason Brown's 4 of 9 for 35 yards, uh, Carolina, this is uh, the lowest completion percentage of 57% that they have held an opponent to this season. Um, Rushing-wise, Keyshawn King, the guy that really had the most success of anybody, nine carries, 52 yards. Nobody else in that backfield had more than 20 yards on the ground. Chance Black, five carries, 19 yards. Bryce Duke, 10 carries, 16 yards. And the quarterback, Grant Wells, not much of a rushing threat in this one. Six carries, 17 yards, although he did find the end zone once for a touchdown. Uh, Meanwhile, at receiver, Caleb Smith, their leading receiver, three catches, 49 yards, although he had the big 34-yarder on the opening drive of the game, and outside of that really didn't do much. Daquan Wright, four catches, 31 yards. So Carolina holding a lot of different guys in check. No other receiver outside of those two had more than 18 yards receiving in this game. Meanwhile, defensively, Dax Hollifield led them in tackles with 10 total tackles, but he still didn't hear a lot of booing because Carolina's offense was whooping his ass up and down the field. And uh, the rest of the defense, you know, kind of all over the place. Uh, you did have it, still a decent amount of tackles for loss. They finished with six in the game. Um, but Carolina really did a good job of holding that talented defensive line in check. And so we'll talk more about that here as we move forward. But let's cycle back around and let's talk about that starting quarterback, man. Drake May. I mean, look, we we said it even after the App State game that, hey, man, this guy seems like he is pretty special. We may have gotten our, our version. And again, as we're seeing right now on the field, it may not equal the same amount of success in terms of national championships and the like. But it seems like we've gotten our Deshaun Watson from our Taj Boyd, um, which was the comparison that a lot of people were trying to make going from Sam Howell to Drake May. I don't know if any of us envisioned just how unreal this young man has been so far in his career. Five total touchdowns in this game. That is now four times in the first five games of his career as a starter that he has thrown for five, or that he has uh, finished with five total touchdowns, I should say. Can you tell me how many five total touchdown games Sam Howell had in his career at Carolina? Four. His entire time there in three years. And I, I don't know about you, I regard Sam Howell as the best quarterback in Toriel history. He was. Um, you know, I, I had this quiet confidence that that when it was all said and done, Drake may, may, may have left Carolina the greatest quarterback to ever play here. He's going to shatter everything Sam did in, in that red shirt or in his true freshman season. And that's saying a lot because Sam did a lot of big-time things back in, in, in 2019, and it's it's really been – it's really been a lot of fun to watch. The, the The hard thing about when you talk about how great he's been is that the things that he's really, really good in 
or areas that Sam really wasn't like Sam was still good in, but just not as good as he was. Yep. And so it feels like we're knocking Sam when we when we praise how great Drake is. Well, this is the this is the most complicated part about doing the greatest of all time or whatever. Any of these debates, you almost have to I'm not saying you have to degrade somebody's accomplishments. But it's you're always going to have to use the but whatever with somebody when you're talking about him. Look, man, we knew that Sam Howe, when he came in, was going to be an extremely talented quarterback. I think in the three years that he was there, he did some amazing things for Carolina. And look, there are things that Drake May would not be able to do that Sam Howe could do. It, I mean, look, there is no doubt, and we're going to talk about him here in, later on. He's playing behind, Drake May's playing behind a better offensive line than Sam Howell had last year. So, would Drake May be making these same type of plays under pressure or the same type of plays that Sam Howell made under pressure? Probably not. But uh, we, I said it week one when we were watching him, even against Florida A&M. This dude just makes everything look so fluid, so easy. I mean, the other night, fourth and seven, he throws off his back foot. Yep. To Josh Downs, like it's nothing. Well, like, the, the the thing about him is the arm talent is ridiculous. He can make any throw. He can make any throw from any angle, mm-hmm. and he can make any throw no matter how his feet are positioned. He reads the defense a lot quicker. He processes the information a lot quicker. And really the biggest thing is that when nothing isn't there, Instead of holding the ball and holding the ball and waiting for something to be there, yep, he goes and just gets those two to three yard plays that we begged Sam for three years to you know to make. And what that does is instead of getting a sack or an incompletion, you go from first and ten to instead of going from second and ten, now you're in second and seven. That's a different play call. And, and so it's just he's wise beyond his years. He he's he's got he's got the poise. He's got the moxie. And I I think the biggest thing he does that really separates him from other quarterbacks that we've had previously and even right now in the country is his anticipation of where the pressure's coming from, the throws he has to anticipate making. It's there. It's natural to him. And that's what really separates the good from the great is because I talk about this all the time, is that some throws that you got to make, you got to anticipate that throw being there. Yep. But, but but before you've snapped the ball, before you've read the defense, you've got to anticipate this is where the ball's going. He has that. And, and look, a lot of credit does go to that offensive line. But, I mean, I, Phil Longo is, 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 calling, is calling the best offense we've seen him call. And, and, look, this is with the team or with the game plan the other day that team didn't really run the ball. And you would think in those in the weather conditions you would have ran the ball, but you got a guy that you got in, you got in Drake May. I get why you're going out there and you're throwing the ball the, the way that they're doing it. So it's been a lot of fun to watch. The good news is is that he's not getting caught up in the hype. He's just you know put his head down, going to work, and he's the biggest reason why <clears throat> we talked after the Notre Dame game. The reason why there was hope that this team could still be competitive and a lot of fun to watch is because we know with him you got a chance to do some big-time things. And that's the thing. That's the one thing that I think he has really picked up from Sam is not getting caught up in all the hype, is just going out and, hey, man, there's there, you're, you're going to get talked about a lot. Sam did his freshman year. He did his sophomore year. 
and even a little bit last year. But each week, you just have to go out and be consistent. And I thought the biggest thing from him this week was you saw a guy that learned from a week ago. There were times where there was pressure in his face, but he didn't immediately tuck and run. Where a week ago against Notre Dame, and and, and look, credit to Notre Dame, they got a lot more pressure on the quarterback than Virginia Tech did. But I thought that you saw the adjustments that needed to be made from a redshirt freshman quarterback, a guy that definitely has the cerebral side of things too, not just the arm talent, but he understands. And, and, and what you said I think is great. He's a guy that goes through his progressions about as well as anybody at the college level. He does it so quick, and the reason is this is how you know he's going through his progressions. And that was one of the things that I thought I, I think concerned a lot of people about Sam yep. was Sam would lock in on certain receivers. Look at all the different guys that are catching the football. Look at all the different guys that are getting targets. I mean, you're talking about three tight ends this season that are pretty much just taking turns having big games. Like, you did not see that with Sam. And and that's, you know, one of the things is, look, man, I you got to give Sam a hell of a lot of credit for last year. You pretty much had one receiver that was consistently playing week in and week out for you at the same level, and you kept going back to him even when they double-teamed him, and were still you, you were still moving the offense up and down the field. But you see just how much more efficient this offense is with a guy that can go through those progressions and that can stand in there and make the throws when he has to. Sam did too, but the ones that you see Drake May making over and over again or just, I mean, there's there's a couple. He had he had one to Bryson Nesbitt that was just, I mean, you said it. We were watching the game over the phone together because we unfortunately cannot be in person because, we, you know, we like to have the back and forth. We like to have the chatter. The people that were in front of us at the Notre Dame game last week picked that up in full, uh, in full effect. And I don't get why they're not a fan of the chatter. I think it's good chatter. I mean, why would you not want to listen to this uh, it, for three hours? Like, come on, man. If if you don't come away after listening to us talk, a smarter football fan, yeah, you need you need to go seek you need to go seek a doctor. Ah, I think because I we're think here people to generally appreciate. We're here to educate. Yep. And I mean, I think I do a very good job of that. And you've come a long way with the help wow, of me really? becoming a better educator. Really, yeah, that's that's definitely been it. Especially on the football side of things, I'm sure you're the one that's been leading the way. By the way, not yeah. everybody can appreciate our chatter like our man Stevie Dees. <laughs> Come on, man. We weren't sitting in 220. That's the unfortunate We'll be part. back, though. In we will. We will. We're going to be back up there our, our last two games of the year <laughs> that we're going to because of work or else we'd be at more games. <laughs> Uh, we'll be in 220. So, you know, maybe our guy will be in front of us. Or at least people that generally appreciate our commentary for three hours. Um, I don't even, what, what was I? I don't know. I lost myself there. All right, well, let's just pivot to this stat for Drake May, because I love reading this stat. I've said this like 15 times already today at the station. 22 total touchdowns so far this year for Drake May. That is tied for the second most through the first five games in ACC history, behind only Lamar Jackson's 26 in 2016. And remember now, Lamar, a ton of those came on the ground. Yep. Um, and, and it was against 
some some pretty rough opponents, although Carolina has played their fair share of lesser opponents as well. But this is impressive to say the least. And I think now this is a conversation that we have to have. And look, first like two or three weeks of the year, you saw him appear on some of the Heisman boards. And you said, okay, well, he's played one more game than everybody else. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. The competition hasn't been there. I got to tell you, man, I know that overall the offense didn't look great against Notre Dame. He still threw for five touchdowns and over 300 yards in that game. Still looked really good. Yep. In this game, over 400. Did he get to? I'm trying to do quick math in my head. Just shy of 450 yards of total offense in this game because he had 73. Uh, 73 yards on the ground, also two touchdowns, and gets to five touchdowns again. So his first two opponents that he has faced that are power five opponents, he has 10 total touchdowns and has thrown for 663 yards against. I, I mean, that's that that's a guy that looks like he should legitimately be in the Heisman race, especially when you add in everything else that he did in the rest of the non-conference. Yeah, and this is a conversation we're actually going to have uh, Tuesday on Sports Radio 927 WFNZ oh, here in Charlotte. Um, because I, 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 think, I think it's appropriate for him to start showing up, you know, on – on a top 10 or something like that because his numbers are up there. Ultimately, we know what the Heisman has become to. It's usually the best player on the best team, which isn't Carolina. But if he keeps putting up these numbers that or keeping pace with, Le, with what Lamar Jackson did, with what Johnny Manziel did, with what Robert Griffin III did, guys that were yep. the best player but not on the best team, and Carolina is still winning, and they get uh, they probably got to get to nine and three, maybe ten and two for him to to really garner that type of hype and attention. But if he keeps putting up the numbers and the numbers, then yeah, it'll it'll be a really hard thing to ignore. And I mean, the good news is is that Carolina's been they've been in some prime TV slots. They played Week Zero, which Mac Brown said is a good thing because not many teams play in the country. You know, the, you know, that 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 last weekend in August. True. The the game against App State may have been a noon game, but it was it was a it was a it was a game around the country. People were tuning in to watch. You had Notre Dame. That's a marquee matchup. You did what you did to Virginia Tech. Like now you're hitting your stretch of the season where you got Miami, you've got Duke. And like you've got Pittsburgh all in the next in the next month, those games are going to really determine the coastal. So if he goes out and he plays well and leads Carolina to to wins, and they're seven and one, eight and one, nine and one, or whatever, come November it'll be hard to have a a, a Heisman conversation that doesn't include Drake May on the list. Well, that's the thing is that look, it's rare you you've got to be just put up just insane numbers, but. Ultimately, a lot of people will say, is there really any chance because Carolina is not going to be a team? You would not think that is going to factor into the college football playoff conversation. But as you mentioned, there are guys that have done it before and and recently. Now, you know, getting to where Lamar Jackson was, that's asking a lot because that was an unbelievably special year because of not only what he did through the air, but you combine him with what he did on the ground. The thing for me is, is 
you know, you look at the what the ACC Coastal is right now, man. You got to think they at least have a shot to, you know, potentially win eight or nine games. And if you can get to that threshold, and if you can get, I thought one of your hosts that is on with you guys right now, talking to him after the after the show today, made a great point. If you can get to the ACC championship game, I think that gives you a legitimate qualifier to put yourself in that Heisman race. So I think that's ultimately where you got to get to. But the thing is, is right now, I get it. You look at that one loss to Notre Dame, Carolina is still not ranked in the AP poll. And to be honest with you, they they don't deserve it at this point because they haven't really beaten anybody. But this is a guy that is doing some unbelievable things. I mean, he is he is tied for second most in the ACC with 22 through five games. Who's he tied with? Kenny Pickett from last year. And he put up a ridiculous season and was in the Heisman race a year ago. So I think it is more than possible that if it continues at this pace, and look, man, that's, that's a big if because there are going to be much tougher teams that you are going to face than Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. I know Notre Dame is Notre Dame, but if if you've seen that team this year, they are not the Notre Dame of old. I'm telling Mac Brown that. So, well, Mac Brown's got him number one in his coaches' poll. So, <laughs> but I, I do think right now it's hard. It's hard to doubt the kid because uh, my God, every time that you wonder, hey, this is his next test. How's he going to react to it? He reacts better than he, than he's has before. So you got to give a lot of credit to him. Another group that deserves a lot of credit, and and part of it also goes to Drake May as well, is the tight ends, man. They performed great in this game yet again. And I told you, that was one of my big keys to this game, was to get the tight ends involved once again. Because last week against Notre Dame, they weren't involved. They were targeted just seven times, three catches in the game. John Copenhaver didn't even get a target in that game. Well, Carolina bounces back. They use all three tight ends in this game, as we told you when we read you the box score. And it was huge. Bryson Nesbitt with a career day. And, man, I'm going to tell you, I know that it is a tough comparison. I'm not going to compare him to Eric Ebron. But is it safe to say at this point that as long as he just finishes the season out even remotely, with similar stats to what he has done so far, he is the best tight end that Carolina has had receiving wise since Ebron. Oh, I mean, yeah, he's, he he looks the part, man. He he's everything that was that was advertised about him. Yeah, I mean, look, and here's the thing: is that what what they do for the offense is it opens up for everybody else to get more involved because when you're having them on the field, but you're not throwing to them. Well, then the defense don't got to worry about covering them. Yep. And that was what happened against Notre Dame was that they were on the field. And, look, part of it was that you needed help to block and everything like that, and I get it. But you weren't you weren't, you weren't, weren't throwing to them. So it made it easier for the defense to, to zone in on downs and Antoine Green and all those guys. Whereas when you have those guys on the field, and, look, Longo knows he can get creative. He can have Nesbitt and Morales on the field or Morales and Copenhaver, or he can have two of them on the field at the same time. And run pass routes for them. They can have all three. And, and and so that that's the thing. You know, I, I stressed so much all summer that this was the really the next step for this offense. And with a with a new young quarterback, there's that's usually their safety valve. 
he hasn't really needed them as their safety valve because he's given everyone the football. But you're now seeing, I think, the full display of of this offense under Phil Longo. And, and look, whenever he's gone to 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 to, to wherever he's been in the past, it, it, it you know it it reaches its its high point. And I think right now Carolina's offense it's still growing. Like it, it's it's not it's not done evolving and becoming the best version of itself, and so he needs to he needs to look at himself and say that we got to keep these guys involved because when they're when they're involved in the passing game, it makes the game so much easier for your other big time receivers, and then whenever you want to run the football, it'll make it a little bit easier as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. And just go back to last week. Last week's offense looked a lot like last year's offense, which wasn't bad. They put up points. But what was what what was the thing that had to happen for last year's offense to be successful in games? Multiple big plays. Yep. And look, this offense has hit big plays, there's no doubt about it. But when you're able to hit these tight ends, hit some of the, even these other receivers, and look, the other receivers, you've seen them sort of take a step back with the other guys that have returned. But these tight ends have not. They didn't in this game. And you saw the difference. You saw a much more efficient offense, a team that can move the ball up and down the field without issue. And that's what you need from this offense. This cannot be just an offense that thrives off of big plays. Because as we saw a week ago, when you don't hit those big plays, when receivers drop those big plays, you can't move the football. Yep. And you saw in this one, and look, it's not just you said that these guys are the safety valve. And, yeah, we've seen that a little bit from mainly, I think, from Kamari Morales more than any of the you know the other two guys. But just look at Bryson Nesbitt in this game. Every one of his receptions was for 18 or more yards. So this is a guy that is doing damage down the seam in the middle of the field. Carolina hasn't had that. They have not had that guy that can attack linebackers, that can attack safeties in coverage. That hasn't been there. They have had to find ways to create separation against corners, and the fact that they are now able to create that separation in the middle of the field, it just makes things so much easier for your quarterback because it is so much easier to see a guy streaking wide open down the middle of the field rather than having to find a guy on the outside that has created separation through a couple of cuts and moves on the outside to create it it's so much different it takes so much less time and and that's what I think is so huge for this team Uh, another thing that was huge for this team on Saturday was that offensive line man they were tremendous in this game I think they deserve a lot of credit Um, especially because look at how much they had to pass protect in this game Carolina threw the ball 40 times in this game now part of that was we were asking ourselves uh, you know, Drake May was still in there up 34 to 10, still throwing the football. So we were saying, okay, that's that's an interesting strategy. But at the same time, this was a group that I think needed the reps and pass protection, especially after a week ago. And look, say whatever you want about this Virginia Tech defense. They have not performed well in their last two outings. The numbers are probably a little bit misleading overall, the ones that we saw coming into this game. At the same time, do we not remember... This same defensive line, a good majority of the same guys a year ago, absolutely destroying Carolina in the first game of the year. They did not allow a single sack in this game. They allowed six tackles for loss, but, you know, I I still think Carolina did what they had to do. They still hit the big run plays when they needed it. And... 
they deserve a lot of credit, primarily in pass protection, for what they did against the Hokies. I told you going into the game, this was going to be the first time we really got to see the impact of the new offensive line coach, Jack McNeil Jr., because this offensive line group had faced adversity. Because the first three games, they had played rather well. They weren't, I'm not going to say they were dominant, but they did what they had to do. They had one stretch in each game where they sort of fell apart and they regathered themselves and were fine. Notre Dame, it was pretty much the whole game they were bullied. Yep. And, and so it was figuring out, okay, how do you respond after a disappointing effort? That was the biggest problem really with Stacey Searles was that if they struggled, sometimes they would bounce back in a huge way and play great. Sometimes they would not they would they they'd play worse than the week before. And, and and so that was a big thing going in. I think they knew the challenge they had going against that Virginia Tech defensive line, how important that is for the way Brent Pry has that defense constructed. And and I, I think they knew going in that as long as the weather cleared up they were gonna throw the ball. And and so I think they went in with the with the you know, with, with making sure the communication and everything was, was where it needed to be and yeah. It was the type of effort you needed You needed to see that type of performance on Saturday because had they come back out and gotten bullied again, we could sit here and say you played a good defensive line. But at, at year four, when you've recruited the way you've recruited that position and you've addressed the needs that you've needed through the portal at that position at, you know, uh, across the board, you should be able to say, yeah, we played a good defensive line. But we have a good we we have a good offensive line, and I think Carolina can sit there and say today they have a good offensive line because yep. they've they've gotten beaten down in one contest, but they responded in the other, and and now they're about to go through a, a you know another road test this week where we're going to find out where that where that offensive line is. But yeah, I mean all of, all the stuff that Drake May did and all the stuff that the tight end group did isn't possible without them doing their job. And I think something we got to remember that they got to do their jobs for Drake May to be talking about in the Heisman and us praising the tight end. So, good job by them. It'll be a fun trench report to read, which you can check on HeelToughBlog.com later in the week. There you go. What a sweet plug right there on that one. Dude, you're just plugging everything right now, man. Like a light salesman over there. This is unbelievable. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would say I don't know if I would consider them good just yet. I would say that they are one that you can feel confident enough in because I still, and I don't know, maybe you don't feel the same way. I still am a little bit concerned about the fact that they cannot consistently run block. Well, I I, I think what it is is, and, and this is this is where we have all this access to stuff now and the way they break the games down is that if if they don't if they're not running for seven eight yards in the first half, the broadcasters are going to tell you they're not run blocking well. the The run blocking comes when you commit to the run, and those two to three yard runs are five six seven yard runs in the second half. When they've committed to running the football, that's what's happened because they're wearing down the defensive line. That's a big part of what blocking is is just lining up across from another person and kicking their ass. And, and so this year they've go. done there a much better job whenever they've said, look, we're going to run the ball. And look, you have to you have to understand that you're not going to come out and run the ball for seven, eight yards a pop. But you're hoping by the second half you're getting five, six, seven-yard runs. 
And they did that against FAU or FAMU. They did that against App State. They did that against Georgia State. It was the Notre Dame game when your defense went to shit. Okay. Um, where you got down 24 points. Yep. Well, then, yeah, you 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 had no choice but to air the ball. I mean, they didn't run the ball early in the game well either. So I, I, I'm not as concerned about that because I think when Longo's committed to it, the run blocking's been just fine. You just got to go in with the mind frame of I would be more concerned if you're in the second half and you're not and you're not winning the battle up front than in the first half. I mean, look, this is the one area that I disagree with you, and I, and I agree with Mac Brown on this one, which is that I the concern is that there are so many, especially early in the game, there are so many like one, two, three yard games. There, there's just and then all of a sudden, what makes these rushing stats look so much better are these big runs. I yeah, told but, you, but, but I told you about a Hampton. You know, he had a 35 yard run. Outside of that, he had two rushing yards on seven carries. Like you just, you want to see more consistency. And don't get me wrong, it is not all about the guys up front. There's sometimes the running back just misses the hole, or, or there or were does, a couple or of times. See the hole. We pointed it out the other day, man. I thought Caleb Hood did some good things the other day. You pointed it out. There was a play. I think it was in the second quarter, ran to the right, right off of right guard, had a hole that he could have bounced to in, at right, where the right tackle, Spencer Rollin, had a guy and just missed it. Yep. Like, it happens. It, there's no doubt about it. But I still think that there are times where your guys are just getting contacted too early. And see, this was the thing. Back in 2020, that could happen because you had Javante Williams who just would run straight through people. You have Michael Carter, who was just so quick-footed, he would make guys miss, and and he was off to the races for a. Even if it was just a seven, eight-yard gain, it was it was a a big, a legitimate play. Yep. Where with these guys right now, and and it's okay, they're not there yet. Especially a guy like Amari and Hampton, like that's a guy. If I see anybody criticizing that dude, this was a dude that was a summer enrollee. Like the fact that he came out and ran for a hundred yards twice in his first three games. Is unreal. Like that's it, there is a learning curve going from the high school level to college. We've said it that skill position guys, it's not the same as those dudes in the trenches, but there is, man, and you're seeing that with Amari and Hampton at, at at times. Caleb Hood, man, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So like there there are elements that are going into this. But yeah, it's one thing that I am a little bit concerned about. My thing is is this is now back to back games where your leading rusher has been your quarterback. And we're not talking about a dude that is – I mean, last year with Sam Howell, man, there were just times that was your entire offense. <laughs> was you were dropping him back, they were designed quarterback draw plays, and you were running the football because you knew some somebody had Josh Downs locked down. Maybe you could get Antoine Green running free. Outside of that, you didn't have anything. The rest of that group couldn't do anything. This is not what that offense has been, but yet it's back-to-back games where he's leading you in rushing. So that's I'm a little I'm a little concerned about that, but at the same time, I mean to to your point, I I think that's something that you need to take into account too because when we saw it early in the year, I mean guys like Corey Gaynor have proven that they can do it. Guys like Awesome Richards, I mean they've been here for a couple years. That that was his strength the last few years. Now, the one guy that I think we have to talk about here, this is this is the third straight game, man, that he struggled. And, I mean, I hate it for him. I thought he was a guy that deserved the chance to start there. I thought he looked really good as a rotational guy last year. But I think that might be what he is. I don't think he's a guy that can start. Does Carolina have to start finding a solution at left guard? Because Ed Montalus 
This He had another rough day. In run blocking, he graded out as the only Tar Heel offensive lineman that was graded as a sub-50 in grades on run blocking, according to PFF. He struggled in pass protection again. I mean, is, is there a point you got to look to try to maybe get Jonathan Adorno up to speed there? Maybe try to kick Brian, Brian Anderson over there to left guard? I think if you're going that route, give me Brian Anderson. Uh, we saw Jonathan Adorno mm. at, at Georgia State. Um, he got thrown around like a little rag doll by Georgia State defensive Early, lineman. Early, but he, I mean, he he's still graded out well, and he he's he's done some good things hey, subbing in. We don't all, we don't always go off by what the well, pre-FF uh, nerds tell no, us. No, you shouldn't. But at the same time, I I thought as the game went along, he looked better. My concern with Anderson is when was the last time that Anderson played anything but center? I don't. I mean, I think he they they attempted. To try him out there when he was a freshman, but remember he was forced into action early in his Tar Heel career at center. I believe it was his wasn't it his freshman season he had to start at center because I mean, of the injuries. I mean, rumor has it he's playing center guard and tackle. I wouldn't doubt it, man. You know, center of the what bench, Jack Bignell does. You know, center of the bench, guard the game. There we go. Attack when anybody that comes near it. You know. Yeah, you a specialty at that one, weren't you? <laughs> But I mean that—that's where I would go, just from a just from a you know an experience factor, and stuff like that. I also think, I mean, Carolina's offensive line had a weak guy in, on it last year, and you you still did a lot of big things. And I mean, don't get me wrong, the last two weeks have wait, been which real- which one? <laughs> well, to be fair, the center the center position had so many different guys. So, so you know, look, it's it's definitely concerning. Um, it's something where he he's got to play better. Yep. I wouldn't, you know, overreact to put somebody else in there. But if 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 I was looking at somebody else, give me Anderson because he's got the experience. He's been here long enough. And I don't know seeing Jonathan Adorno get thrown around by Georgia State defensive lineman. I, I give me another year before I got to see that. Well, to be to be fair, uh, not everybody looked great in that game. Overall, you know who else was thrown around by Georgia State's defensive line? Ed Montalas. Mm. <laughs> so I mean, that's that's the that's the thing. My thing is with that. I don't. You, to me, there's no, you don't just take him out of the starting lineup, but you do kind of what we saw with him a, with, with him a year ago when he would sub in when they would take Awesome Richards out at tackle and push Azudu over to tackle. They would sub in Ed Montalas there, and they would do that, you know, whenever a guy was struggling. So I think you got to do that with with Montalas here. If he's struggling that bad, let's rotate him out and let's throw another guy in there and yeah. see if the results are better. If they're not, then whatever, man. Stick with Montalas. It's it's still gotten you to four and one, but I think it definitely has to be something that you look at moving forward. Uh, now let's go to the defensive side of the ball. And, I mean, look, man, you got to give these guys some credit because this was a team that legitimately looked like they were motivated off of the loss to Notre Dame. And, I mean, it looked like a crew that had went in, had a heart-to-heart in those player meetings, and it looked it looked like a much better defense out there on Saturday against an offense that was – that came in in better shape than Notre Dame's did. I don't think you can be pounding your chest over the performance, 
But I think you have to give these guys at least some credit because it would it would have been really easy to go out there and lay another egg against another pathetic offense. <laughs> Here we go. Here comes hypercritical Marlowe. I you did what you were supposed to do. And maybe we need to just Okay, here's the here's the give thing. Give him a round of applause because for the first time Okay, maybe you don't need to give him a round of applause. But here's the thing. Have they done have they done what they have were supposed to do in any of the other games so far this year? No, they haven't. No. And, so and, there you go. And so like like here's my thing. Validate it. Yeah. You you, you go out and, and you play Miami and look, I know Trevor Van Dyke's Got his issues. You don't even know his name. That would be Tyler. Yeah, I always call him Trevor. <laughs> well, just, to be fair, he hit the bench last. He, he hit the bench last time we saw he, him. He so. looks. He looks like a Trevor. Um, is that supposed to be offensive? No. Oh, okay. I'm gonna name my son Trevor. That was a compliment. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. We we knew this offense was anemic. We've been told by the afternoon drive host where we work at the quarterback sucks. And we'll leave it I as mean, sucks as the positive word. Yeah, I didn't even need him to tell me that. Um, I've, I've seen him play in a few games this year. He's, it's it's not it's not good. So he, yes, they 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 did respond, but I don't really know what it means because I don't. I, I got to tell you, I don't think anybody knows what it means. Look, I, I will say this: I have seen multiple people on social media that are basically saying. This is where they turn the corner. Look, man, I hope you're right. I really, really do. I hope this was what woke this group up, was just getting stomped by Notre Dame and having one of your teammates literally punch another one of his teammates in the face during a game. I, I really hope that was what woke this team up. But, yeah, it's this is the thing. You can be satisfied with the performance that you saw on Saturday while also saying to yourself, hey, man, you got to prove it to me another week. If you do it against Miami, okay, then we can start having conversations about a defense that is starting to come into their own and take steps forward. Now, one of the reasons, I will say this, one of the reasons why I think you can be somewhat encouraged is because you started seeing more people rotated in. I've been saying this for weeks now. Put other guys in the game and let's see what happens. And look, it wasn't a ton, but you put Malachi Hamrick in the game. I thought he looked apart. He looked pretty damn good. He was in there for, I believe it was 11 plays. He had five tackles. That's pretty damn good. You, you know, we saw more of Will Hardy, which I mean, look, Will Hardy's had his ups and downs, but hey, man. He's a he, he's a freshman, true freshman in the secondary. And to be honest with you, which one of these safeties has looked so great that you shouldn't put him out there? None of them. And then for the first time, and I I love this move because I thought he played pretty well too in the limited snaps he got. We saw more Jacoby Cowan. We saw him early in the game. This dude is a former four star transfer from Ohio State. Hey man, there's a ton of other guys that are four and five stars that are in front of him. They haven't been doing anything all year. They put him in the game. What does he do? He comes in and picks up a sack. So they started rotating a few more guys in, 
And I thought it paid dividends. That's what you need to do more often. If guys are not performing, take them out of the damn game and put other guys in. And they did in this one. I think the biggest reason why the lack of rotation literally made no sense was look how fast your offense plays and how often you score. Like, it's very rare you're ever going to dominate time of possession anyway. To be fair, remember back in 2019... We did not rotate our defensive tackles with one of the fastest paces because you, in the country. You, you, you didn't have defensive so, tackles to rotate I mean, in. look, that's a fair point. Yeah. So, like, th- that's where I've gotten really frustrated is, look, you're, you play a style of offense that you're going to score points, you're going to score a bunch of them, and you're going to put up a lot of yards, but you're going to do it in 25, 28 minutes. So, naturally, your defensive guys are going to be on the field a little bit more often Common sense would tell you to rotate the guys in. Well, it's not even that, dude. Who who has played? Answer me this question: Who so far this year has played good enough to where they should not be allowed to be subbed out based off of performance and skill? There, there's not a single person on this defense. I would say since Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford that have not earned the right to not be taken off the field. I mean, look, I would say this year. Especially now, and we'll tell you a little bit more about the injuries at linebackers. Cedric Gray, Power Eccles, and maybe Noah Taylor. But for every great play they make, they've missed three. Like, that's been the biggest problem. Has been, like with Jay Bateman, they were just not in position to make plays. More often than not. He was getting out-schemed. Well, to be fair, the and, secondary hasn't been in position to make plays. And there have been times with Gene. this year. Where he's also been out-schemed. But I do feel like I trust Gene a lot more to make the adjustments to put the guys in the position to make the plays. And our guys just simply didn't make them. And that was what they did on Saturday. This defense is not going to dominate. They are a bend but don't break defense. We don't, gonna, we don't need them they're to gonna give up. They're going to give up yards. They did in 15. Yep. But the thing was, was they got pressure on the quarterback and they turned and they forced turnovers. You got as much pressure on the quarterback as you've gotten all year long, and you force a turnover. But but the biggest thing about that 15 defense was they kept everything in front of them and they made the plays. They took a step in that direction on Saturday. They kept everything in front of them and they made the play. They had one one communication breakdown. That I can remember from the game. One time where I said to myself, how's no one there? They gave up two big plays, which are 15-plus yard passing plays, 10-plus yard running plays. They gave up two. Do you know what the season low before that was in a game? Six. Nine (laughs) to Florida A&M. Every other game they had allowed more than that, including... 22 to abstain. <laughs> so, I mean, you're taught this is a huge step forward. No doubt about it. But, yeah, I mean, look, the, the offense on the other side that you played, I mean, that may legitimately be one of the worst offenses in college football. The problem is, is that the offense you faced the week prior may still be one of the worst offenses that. You've, that, that you'll see this year in college football. Unfortunately, Notre Dame did not play this past week, so we don't know. Now they do play this coming week against BYU. That'll give us a great that, that'll give us a great assessment as to whether or not they're making a push for the playoff, as Mac Brown thinks. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought 
You know, the communication was much better. They limited the big plays. And I thought as as a whole, the secondary easily had their best game of the season. And he was led by Tony Grimes. You you got to give it to him, man. He stepped up and played really well on Saturday. He was targeted six times. He allowed two catches for 15 yards. That's, I mean, that's about as much as you could ask for from a corner on the outside. That looked like the Tony Grimes that people thought we were going to get. Well, it's about time because he's been talking as if he's been that same guy, and he hasn't been. Yeah. And that gets really frustrating, and that's the probably big reason why that altercation happened at Notre Dame because he, he has talked and talked while he's gotten his ass well, kicked. He, just, he didn't make a smart play. He got something said to him by a teammate. But who knows? Maybe that was the best thing that happened to him. And and, and so, like, you, I, you know, never know. Here's the thing. The biggest frustration, and look, I still think for the majority of these guys, this this the talent was highly overrated. But there's talent here to where the defense should be better than what it's been. Yes. You gotta play to it. And Saturday was the first time that they really played to it as a collective unit. Where I thought the defensive line did its best job all year, and I still thought they didn't get off blocks the way you wanted to. They didn't set the edge the way you wanted to. But when they uh, did, I would disagree with setting the edge. I thought that was the it best was better, done all but, year, and that's no not doubt. saying a whole lot. Well, but but this was the thing. They they have not done it all year. There were multiple times that they strung out plays and forced forced running backs out of bounds for no gain, one yard, negative negative play. Well, we have not is, seen is, that. The whole year. When when you do that, when you actually do your job and what you're asked to do, what happens? Yeah, you, you're forcing that guy to the boundary. But also, here yep. comes Cedric Gray and, and, and Cedric Gray and Power Eccles. And look, I don't know about you. I don't want to get tackled by that guy one time, let alone you know, 10, 15 times where they're just throwing their bodies into you. And so it was the first time I thought all year our defense, to some degree, imposed their will on the offense. Yep. The question's going to be, was it a flash in the pan because it was a bad offense, not great conditions, and the game was effectively over in the middle part of the second quarter, if we're being honest? Well, you know, here to, to, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to try to say it wasn't great conditions, <laughs> you can just get the hell out of here. How much have we heard about people complaining, you can't use the conditions from the 2016 game? Well, it was uh, raining sideways, and the wind was blowing about 25 miles an hour. It was nowhere near that bad the other day. But I get what you're saying. I think what this is going to be the thing. We saw a game exactly like this a year ago. We were at that game, and we set it when we were riding back to our car on the bus. It was the Duke game. That was a game where they dominated. They looked apart. Now, in that game, they they destroyed them up front, too. This game, not so much. But that was a game where they simply shut that offense down. That was a bad offense. Yep. Is this the same thing a year later? And honestly, you, you want to know the scary part? When was that game played a year ago against Duke? October 2nd. When was this game played? October 1st. So it's literally the same time period, too. But I wonder, it's a, first of all, much different mindset around this Carolina team than that one. 
That one a year ago, the season was pretty much already over because of the expectations that you had. Or with this team at four and one, you're you're still feeling, especially with you being one and zero in conference play. We still got everything ahead of us. Yep. And you've got a Miami team that, hey man, they ain't playing great offensively. They sure ain't playing great defensively. So you feel like you've got an opportunity to get something done. It's just, can this unit repeat that? Even, as we said, it does not have to be, you are probably not going to hold another opponent to 10 points this season. That Virginia Tech offense, folks, is legitimately the worst. That that team, are they the worst team in the, in the ACC right now? Because Georgia Tech just went up and beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. There's an argument. So that might be the easiest team that you play all season. You've got to sort of put that out of your mind and say, hey, we still showed, and Virginia Tech, man, they still got some athletes on that team. We showed that we have the capabilities of being a good defense. Let's try to do that week in and week out and at least show that we can be an average defense. So we're going to take a quick break. We have uh, some injury news for Carolina. I mentioned at the linebacker position, uh, two guys uh, that are going or are currently injured with upper body injuries. We'll tell you about that. And also, we have to tell you about a former Tar Heel running back uh, that is in the NFL right now, one of the NFL's better players as well at his position group, who is out for the season. Stick around here on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Look, man, I'm a Giants fan, and you know right now, with my team at 3-1 and one, and with the way that Saquon Barkley is playing, I have to get on there and bet on my guy in a contract year where I know, of course, he's going to stay healthy and he's going to get that big contract. We all know how it works. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do, everything, the articles, the podcast all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter, at HeelToughBlog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at HackZubber2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnotta, Josh Marlowe with you. 
As I mentioned, some team news, some injury news for the Tar Heels on the defensive side of the football. Mac Brown, at his press conference today, did release uh, two uh, key injury updates uh, at the linebacker position. One true freshman linebacker, Sebastian Cheeks, is out for the season. Um, he was a guy that was a key member of the special teams unit, uh, took most of his reps so far this year on both kick coverage and punt return. So Carolina will be without him. And Rara Dilworth, questionable this week after missing the game against Virginia Tech with an upper body injury. So. Uh, Carolina's depth at linebacker. This was one of the big concerns that we had at the linebacker position overall. It wasn't the talent. Uh, it was the fact that if they sustained an injury or two, they could be in trouble. And right now, they're in a situation where pretty much Power Eccles and Cedric Gray are going to have to play every snap uh, moving forward, barring you know one of those guys going down, that would be the situation that would get a little dire. Um, I've got you know an article on the website that sort of breaks down the two injuries, what we heard today, uh, what those losses mean, and goes a little bit into the situation of what happens if one of those two guys was to go down while Ra Ra Dilworth is still out. Um, Noah Taylor, the good news is he's played uh, a pretty good amount of inside linebacker. He did back at Virginia, so they could move him to inside linebacker. Um, they could also you know, move a guy like Malachi Hamrick in there. Hamrick played that his senior year in high school. Uh, the prior three years, they used him mostly on the edge. And the other day, when Hamrick was on the field, Carolina primarily used him on the edge as well. Um, so that is going to be something to monitor monitor here moving forward the Toriel defense showing some positive things the other day but now having a question of depth at the linebacker position meanwhile Speaking of injury news, the Tar Heels, one of their former running backs, uh, Javante Williams, the star running back for the Denver Broncos, he is going to be out for the season, and it could be longer. An MRI today revealed uh, not only a torn ACL, but a torn LCL and a posterior lateral corner, uh, according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. Uh, this is going to be a long road back for him, according to Rappaport. So uh, that that one is just, that is a brutal one for a guy who was sort of building off of what he did a year ago as a rookie, as uh, one of those guys that is looked at as an up-and-coming star at the running back position. And now, unfortunately, has his season cut short uh, out there in Denver. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Hey, guys, head over to the website. Check it out, HeelsUpBlog.com. Everything that you guys need to know from the game against Virginia Tech, we're going to have you covered on that one. Ashton's analysis actually just went up uh, here as we've been recording the podcast. He's going to have the press conference takeaways as well. The stock report is on its way and the trench report as well. And then, of course, we will circle back around uh, this week, midweek. There could be an article coming out uh, about one of the guys on this team. That's all I'm going to say. I am you know, potentially thinking about putting something together. Uh, and then, of course, we will turn around and get you guys ready for the huge matchup down in uh, Miami uh, against the Hurricanes as the Tar Heels look to uh, continue what has been a pretty good amount of success against Miami since the Larry Fedora days. They're hoping to do that uh, and pick up uh, yet another win down there 
uh, in Miami Gardens at Hard Rock Stadium. And if they can do so, Carolina would be in a great position in the ACC Coastal. So we'll have you covered on all those fronts with the preview. Uh, And then, of course, we will have you guys on the back end with the recap, uh, the stock report, trench report, all that stuff that I was telling you about just a minute ago for uh, the game against Virginia Tech. We'll have for the Miami game. So that wraps up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tarius. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.